0: Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order.
1: So for the next 30 minutes, I'm like doing all the visuals for Paul Oakenfold on the main stage at Ultra. And my friends are like, where are you? I'm like, look at stage left. What are you doing? I'm doing all the <laughs> So.
0: What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf.
1: It's your boy. It's okay.
0: Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the
1: place right here. Rebel Radio is going down. Would
2: you say Rebel Radio?
1: Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio.
2: What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the Rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week, I'm excited to bring you uh one that we recorded face to face instead of uh the video chat which i've mentioned before i can't stand well i I still like doing it but you know being in person in the room with somebody there's no substitute for that so my guest this week was gracious enough to invite me into his home we had a nice social distant interview uh and it was great david alexander is my guest he's the founder of the icon collective which is a music production school in LA and now online available across the world. Um, David's got some incredible stories of his journey to building that business. Uh, The the interview starts out with a story that's cut off. You're gonna hear the second half of it. Unfortunately, the way we were setting up for recording, we didn't capture the front end, but he's telling me, the story of what happened one time he went to the ultra music festival in miami and i'm not going to spoil the end of it for you because you'll hear it but he didn't have a ticket he decided last minute to just go and it really answers the question what would happen if you asked for nothing and just went to be of service and he had this incredible experience that uh that we'll share with you he's got some other great stories later in the episode about how he got his business started, some really big, big lessons about having faith, uh, trusting in the process, um, really having a clear vision of what you're in it for. Good stuff. I'm excited to share it with you and let's get into it.
1: This thought uh-huh. in the cab you know and I get out and I see a security guard with a clip and it hit me I was like hey where's the artist entrance he goes you need to walk down this hall this line right here and you'll see a break in the fence around the corner I was like All right, guys come with me they're like what are we doing I'm like just trust me so they're like who is this <laughs> so we start walking back there and sure enough the tent the fence opens up and uh, I remember the guy's name Smokey so as I'm walking up I see Goldie i uh, leaving, mm-hmm. there's the guy, and you know, I know who Goldie is, so sure. I, I stop him, I introduce myself, I tell him about the school, uh, I tell him I'm a big fan, we exchange cards, and the guy at the artist Relations is watching all this go down, so it looks like I actually know <laughs> Goldie, right? So, and the other thing is, I was in this mindset that I'm, I wanna be of service, like I don't yeah. wanna ask for anything, right? Yeah, yeah, sure so i walk up and some "Moki, how's your day going and blah 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 and he goes we start talking eventually he goes. so what brings you here and i noticed that there's a a schedule and bt's playing the breakbeat stage at 7:30. Mm-hmm. it's about 7:15. i said oh, i'm just here with my artists they're doing a guest appearance with bt on stage he goes okay just a minute so i walk yeah. over back to them oh right my God. and he starts looking through folders and folders and folders and like what's going on i'm like just trust me you know and I see him pick up the phone, and I'm like, oh, it's all over, because our names aren't on there, you know? Right. And so he goes, hey, David, come over here. I walk over, and he goes, here's, here's, your, here's your artist passes. He goes, you want me to get you a golf cart so we can take you over there? And he goes, no, I know where it is. So I give him their, I said, these are backstage passes. You guys have a good time. They were like, what?
2: That's amazing.
1: And so I walked in with my backstage <laughs> pass. I'm waiting for my friends to get in. And Oakenfold and, and Prodigy are playing the main stage. So we're fighting our way through the crowd, and as I'm fighting, I get a glimpse of the wristband, and it hits me. Like, what am I doing here? I should be backstage, Is uh-huh. like I just exploring yeah, the sure. event, because yeah. the event was made for electronic music, and I've devoted my life to electronic music, and, you know, yeah. it's all good. Yeah. So I said, I'll see you guys later. Like, where are you going? I'm like, don't worry about it, you know? So I walk up to the front where the rails are, and I show the security guard, I need to get backstage. This guy just picks me up, drops me over the fence, right? <laughs> and there's Holy two entrances shit. to the main stage. So I yeah. walk up to the first guy and I was like, Hey, I got friends I'm meeting on stage. He goes, "No, with that, that wristband, you're not. That's for the breakbeat stage. This is the main stage. I'm like, No problem. Moki must have made a mistake and I'm walking off. and I'm like, What happened? I was like, I asked him for something. I'm like, yeah. I broke my rules. So I go to the other guy and I just we introduce each other. How's your day? I've been here all day. It's been hot. I was like, Hey, would you, would you like me to get you something? I just came from the hospitality tent. I don't mind. He's like, yeah, I'd really like a cup of coffee. I hadn't seen the hospitality tent. Didn't know if there was one. I was like, okay, I'll be right back.
2: <laughs> oh, so damn. I, walk, I go
1: through these two semis. There's a white tent. And sure enough, it's a hospitality tent. So I'm pouring him a coffee. And there's like, I, I spuck it with a bunch of Red Bulls. I don't drink Red Bull, but mm-hmm. something told me, take two Red Bulls. So mm-hmm. I put it in my back pocket and I grabbed an apple. Um, gave him his coffee. He goes, so what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm here to meet some friends on stage a little bit later. <laughs> Future friends. <laughs> 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 and he looked he looked at my wristband and he goes, I'm sorry, man, I, that's the wrong wristband. I'm like, oh, no problem. I'm sure Moki got confused. And no, it was really good to meet you. He goes, right, likewise, you know. So I'm walking away after I take about 15 sets. He's like, hey, David. I turn around and he's like, I like you, man, go ahead. So I'm like, cool. So I'm walking up, I'm walking up the ramp. I'm crossing the stage. I see 40,000 people. I'm like, I'm going to go hang out with, you know, the crew that's on the side of the stage waiting for the artists to come out, and we're just yeah. going to enjoy the show together. So I'm standing on stage and I'm looking around this massive stage and it's the DJ, two go-go dancers, three camera crew, a couple of tech crew and nobody else. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing up there looking crazy, sticking out like a sore thumb <laughs> and I'm like, I had a moment of panic, like, okay, now what am I going to do? And I noticed this guy playing, like, a had a keyboard rig or something way off in the corner. I'm like, God, oh, that looks interesting. It turns out he's the VJ, right?
2: Uh-huh.
1: And I'm talking to him and it dawns on me that last year as I was getting off the plane, I was wearing a producer's backpack called, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's, it's kind of a, I forget what it's called, but it's, it's sort of a secret pack. It looks like a normal pack, but it's made for hard drives and laptops oh, okay. and headphone cases and wires, specifically made for DJs. Yeah. And he had the same one. I said, hey, are, are you a producer? He's like, no, I'm a VJ. I do all the visuals, you know, cool. So we talked and we got our bags and that was it. And as I'm talking to him, I'm realizing it's the same guy I met the year before as I was getting off the plane. And I was like, hey, do you remember getting off the plane and talking to a guy that had a backpack? He's like, yeah, I was like, that was me. He's was like, oh, how crazy, well, what are you doing here? Like, I'm just here to meet friends, you know? And we're talking, we're having a good time, and I'm asking him, so how's your day? And he said, man, I, I had a hard night last night and I really could use a drink. And there's nothing here. He goes, but the only thing I brought is vodka. And I was like, let me guess. Do you drink Red Bull vodka? He was like, that's my drink. And I popped out the two Red Bulls no in my way. back pocket. <laughs> oh, my God. And poured, we poured each other a drink. And then he gets a phone call, and his whole face changes. I'm like, what's wrong? And he goes, oh, man, I got a problem. And he goes, I have two friends that I invited. They're at the gate, and they won't let him in. And in that moment, I knew he was going to ask me to go get his friends. Mm-hmm. And I was totally cool with it because that's where I was supposed to be, right? So I'm like, "Can you do me a favor?" I said, "Absolutely." He goes, "Do you mind running all the visuals for Openfold while I go get my friends?" I'm like, do you, "Do you know how to do this?" I'm like, "I'm a musician. I'm a producer. Right. I understand contrast, tension, release." He goes, "Let me see," and I was like, "Well, show me what's up." He goes, "All the keys triggers different visuals. and These are the switches for the cameraman. <laughs> this camera's on the audience. This is on the this is on the DJ, and this is rolling camera. And here's all your lights. You know." So I'm playing in sync. The DJ is doing a build up. And right before the drop, I just black everything out, the stage goes black, and when the drop hits, I flash the front lights on the audience, and I flip the camera on for the audience, and Mm -hmm. the people see themselves on the screens, and the whole place goes crazy. (laughs) He's like, and then he just walks off, right? So for the next 30 minutes, I'm like, doing all the visuals for Paul Oakenfold on the main stage at Ultra, and my friends are like, where are you? I'm like, look at stage left. What are you doing? I'm doing all the visuals. (laughs) That's insane. So crazy to, what can happen when you kind of follow your intuition, you know, and just... What a story, man. Just, I mean... Just trust, you know. And I'm such a fan of visuals and music. You have no yeah, idea. Like, sure. That probably would have been an alternate uh, career choice for me. To, so, to have had that experience is really, really interesting.
2: I want to talk to you about Fiverr. You know, for 2020, there's no such thing as business as usual. Every company I know, every company you know, is figuring out new ways of getting things done. We're working remote, some companies are downsizing, all the events are moving to virtual, even this show. We used to record every episode face to face, now we're doing video chat, phone chat, etc, etc. If you own a business, pivoting quickly is hard enough, but finding the right people that you can trust to make it happen, that's the key to success. Fiverr is a great freelancing platform that helps you find talent to build your online presence fast. Whether it's building your first website, designing social graphics, you gotta have the right people. And getting the wrong people is costly. It's it's disruptive to your business. So Fiverr lets you hire freelancers who have proven track records and clear pricing. You're not in the dark, you're not haggling. It just makes everything easier. Use Fiverr to connect with freelancers offering hundreds of digital services from graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, uh, pretty much anything you need done that can be done remote, which is, as we've learned, is everything uh, you can do on Fiverr. You can work with confidence, knowing exactly what you're paying for upfront. Um, the payments are released to freelancers once you've approved the work. They have 24-7 customer service, so anytime you have an issue, Fiverr is there to help you. Find talent today at Fiverr.com and get 10% off your first order using our code REBELRADIO. All the digital services you need are in one place at fiver com. code REBELRADIO. Again, that's Fiverr.com code REBELRADIO. Um, I'm blown away. Like, like <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, what a great lesson, first of all, to... To not ask right for stuff, right, because uh, I think that goes so counter to the way we think and the, like to what we think about success and getting shit done, and
1: yeah, to be of service is like for other people, I think is so important, first and foremost, you know, yeah, because I think I think through that, you kind of find a better path for yourself, you know mm. it sets a different tone, I think um well let's talk about that man i'm so excited
2: to dig into this uh but i'm excited to be here with you and i appreciate you you uh welcoming us into your
1: home of course i mean it was it was really cool to meet you and hear your history and to learn that you're responsible for those merging of corporate and underground culture that i found so interesting back in the day Mm. i vividly remember those scion commercials and sure Wow, someone's exposing the culture, you know, in an yeah. in in interesting way. So,
2: fun times. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited to talk about your path and your extraordinary uh, ability to be in service. <laughs> and um, um, take me back to the beginning. I know you. I know you. Music is your life. Um, and so, do you remember the first record you ever bought?
1: I do, and it's going to date me, and it's. Um, Um, A song called by Bachman Turner Overdrive, (laughs) You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. Yeah. I remember that being my first single, and the second one was My Sharona by The Knacks. Yeah. You know, that must have been like, like 71, 72. I must have been like four or five years old or something. Big records? Yeah, big records. But um, my mom used to say, play piano in church, and my dad used to go to church mm-hmm. three times a week. Wow. To go see my mom. Yeah, <laughs> you know? And that's that's how they met. But I, I always kind of grew up with the piano in the house, and my parents are immigrants, mm-hmm. so they came here to pursue an education for myself, and the expectation is that I would have been a medical professional, or an engineer, sure. or you know any of these professions that were you know, they required a high uh, standard of education but also guaranteed a certain aspect of lifestyle mm-hmm. and I actually was studying at the University of Texas uh, aerospace engineering but I would go see this band on the weekends that were playing funk and R&B and covering music and just the keyboard player was really amazing it was really inspiring so I ended up just getting a keyboard rig like he had and putting a, a band that was terrible and yeah. imitating what they were doing and one day these guys came to my job and said, hey, uh, we want to take you to lunch, and our keyboard player just got picked up by Prince, and mm. we want you to join the band. We're playing seven, six nights a week. And I said, I ain't got time for you. I'm, I'm on a scholarship. I got a part-time job. And the bass player was like, you see the suit, don't you? I'm yeah. like, yeah. He pulled out a piece of paper. He's like, these are all the gigs we have in the next few months. That's how much money you're going to be making. Wow. Five minutes later, I was knocking on my boss's door, and I gave <laughs> two weeks' notice. I dropped out of college. I didn't tell my parents for like two months. No way. And it was the most stressful time of my life because I had to learn 45 songs. Sure. I had to do four sets, and I had two weeks to learn it. And I was I was really really green at that point. You Mm. know. What was the band? Um, It was called The Business. They used to be a cover band in Austin, Um, and Austin had a really and still has a still uh, thriving live music scene. The University of Texas is there, you know, so every. Every year, 50,000 kids encroach into a six-mile radius, yeah. and they just—they're hungry for entertainment. You know, so musicians uh, can really make a really good, a good standard of living there. And I did that for about two and a half years.
2: Three you know, years. S- side note, but you know, we—we we sort of look down on cover bands, right? And uh, but I think it's—you know—the ability to perform music is such an important skill, right? And, and obviously, if you're a professional musician, <clears throat> that's how you make a lot of your money. Mm-hmm. Um, we all can think of great songwriters, uh, musicians who are not great on stage. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I always find it fascinating that we, we sort of group the, like, we want to see the person that sang it originally sing it on stage, even if someone else could do it better. Right. Right? Um, I agree. And, you know, I've seen, I'm sure you have, I've seen amazing cover bands who are just, you know, maybe better than the original. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I just, I find that fascinating the way our, our brains think about
1: that, right? Um, I agree with you. I, I see a lot of emerging artists posting covers of other people's song on Instagram. Yeah. And it's just interesting to me that every single person, I believe, has the gift of creativity. They just, there's a lot of principles that need to be put into place for a person to trust the process enough Mm -hmm. to believe that they are capable of creativity. And that's not something that's taught in schools. Sure. And even nowadays when it comes to music production or engineering schools, they don't talk about the mindset that you need to have as an artist because it is a journey of faith. You Mm -hmm. know, Um, you have to cross the threshold of the unknown, leave everything that you know of safety. Discover something of value, and then have the courage to bring it back and share it with people. And it's in each one of those processes, you have to face fears, and you have to you have to lean into those fears, and you have to go sure. beyond the fears. So, um, so you
2: did that. Joined I, this I, band. I did
1: that. I did that, not knowing that that's what I was doing in the beginning. Yeah. You know. Yeah, of course. And that's what got me into music. What
2: you you know you talked about your parents and and there's the um, there's the uh, what we think of as the immigrant work ethic, mm-hmm. right people come to this country, you know we know many of the greatest businesses' greatest achievements uh, were created by people that came here and had something to prove mm-hmm. right um,
1: or nothing to lose.
2: yeah, maybe that too. <laughs> yeah. how much do you think that affects you and your approach to getting things oh, done?
1: I mean a hundred percent it affects all of it. There was at one point when I moved away from home to pursue music full time. And I was thinking about my struggle. And at that same time, my mom was sharing me the story of coming to New York, not knowing the language, $12 in her pocket, Mm -hmm. and just buckling down and doing what she had to do. And I'm thinking, I've got more than $12 in my pocket. I understand the language, I have skills, I have ability. Why am I living in fear of pursuing a goal? So um, having that as a background, I think, uh, was a big factor in me having confidence and being able to do things that people normally wouldn't feel comfortable doing.
2: So do you carry that with you now? Like, obviously, now you have means, right? You have resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes the more we have, the harder, the le- you know, the harder it is to mm-hmm. do stuff.
1: Right, to take uh, risks.
2: Yeah. Um, so do you find that popping up over the years? Like you know, do you, I don't know, do you find yourself getting comfortable and, and having to go back to those memories and think, okay, you know, what would mom do or, or, or what would I do if I didn't have any?
1: I think it's, I think it's all about setting goals, you know, mm-hmm. because if you don't have a plan for tomorrow or what you're going to do three months from now or six months from now, a year from now, four years from now, five years from now, um, you don't have a way of Understanding what type of investment in time energy money resources people it's going to take to get there Yeah, but if you do have a goal, you know that whatever you're risking. There's a benefit of a reward and That kind of eliminates um, That complacency, sure. you know, I mean you, you could say I have means now I mean, I I, I live a comfortable lifestyle, but at the same time for the last 15 years with my business partner, we've been saving everything that we've been accumulating so we can make the next jump. Mm-hmm. And we just made a huge investment in you know, building a campus and designing a 30,000 square foot facility from scratch. And I mean, this house that I'm in right now, doesn't belong to me, it, sure. it belongs to the lender. And right. his house doesn't belong to him, it belongs to the lender. Yeah. And the money that we saved for 15 years doesn't belong to us, it belongs right to the business and the lender. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's ever a stage in your life where, you, where you're not, where what you risk doesn't turn around and reward you equally, you mm. know? But interesting, it, it takes experience to trust that process, mm-hmm. to know that the important thing is to put a step forward even if you don't necessarily know all the steps that are along the way, you yeah. know? but a lot of people don't see all the steps in the process and that prevents them from taking the first one. But it's a journey like walking through fog. You know, you don't see all the steps when you take the first step, you can see the next one, but not the one after that. Right. But you have to take the next one to see the one after that. It's so, a process that gets you there.
2: So w- walk me through that. So you're, you're in this band. Um, and then where do you, how do you get from that to taking the step to launch a school?
1: Um, I saw that the band was basically on a revolving circuit. Some of the guys are still there 20 Mm -hmm. years later, they have their homes, their boats, they're doing really well. But I was thinking, is this it? Am I just gonna be playing these same clubs, these same cities for the rest of my life? Uh, And no, there was more that I wanted to do. So I found out about a school that focused on contemporary music, and I went to the very first keyboard program that they had. And um, a week after graduating that, I, I landed a touring gig with a major artist, and I was on the road. For almost two years, and then I noticed Who did you tour with? I toured with the Gap Band. I toured with Shaka Khan. I did stuff with George Clinton. Mm. Um, just a lot of different artists in the R&B scene, and but I was noticing that the musical directors, when we weren't on tours, they were producing records mm-hmm. on MPCs and right. you know had home studios, and I just got interested in production, and I, and I thought that engineering was the way to do that, and I went to an engineering school and graduated. Realizing that I was a technician, I knew how to set up a microphone, I knew how to set up reel-to-reel tape machines and run it as a cell, but I really in, I didn't understand anything about sequencing or programming or mm-hmm. the, the art of creating music. Um, so that was kind of like my genesis. Uh, and so, w-
2: what were the options at that time? This is this is 15 or more years ago, mm-hmm. right? So it's like 92, right? So yeah. now we have we have Icon and we have other music yeah. school. Right there, there's a growing segment of music production schools right yeah there are Um, actually what was there what was there at the time
1: at that time there was really nothing that was artist focused it was all engineering yeah and i had completed the program and was starting to produce music on cubase i didn't have an artist to work with. i had no projects but there was a video game called quake which Mm. the music had been produced by trent reznor and it was very ambient, but the gaming was really high paced. So just as an exercise on learning, using these tools, uh, with a, with another partner of mine, we decided to score music, rescore the music for Quake and just put it out on the internet. Yeah, oh, that's cool. And what ended up happening is the company that produced Quake got a hold of it and called us and said, hey, we're producing Quake 2, would you like to submit music? Nice. And so based on that, we got into producing music for video games and... Then I got called back to work at the engineering school as a counselor, and I realized that, you know, the majority of the kids didn't wanna be engineers, they were artists Mm -hmm. wanting to learn how to produce their own music. So that was kind of like the genesis of an artist-based production program. And started the program with Musicians Institute, and then a year and a half into working with them, realized that they really didn't completely understand the vision at that point and got together with my now business partner, Christopher White, and said, we should go do this on our own. Mm-hmm. And just took a leap of faith and started small with about 15 students and organically grew it from there.
2: Um, real quick, what, what'd you learn from the Gap Band, Chaka Khan? That you, I mean, those, those are legendary genre-defining musicians wow. what did you learn working with them that, i that think the most important thing i your... learned
1: just like musically would be that it's about pocket it's about groove mm. you know you, you could play three notes but if you put them in the wrong in the wrong space they're not going to mean as much so yeah. um really timing and groove is what i really under, began to understand about mm. working with those guys you know Sure. Right now, such a, a lot of the music that's being sequenced all falls on the grid, mm-hmm. and it's such a thin line where everything happens. And when you play in a band with, with people, they all have their own sense of what time is. So the guitar player might be a little bit ahead of the snare, and the bass player might be a little bit behind the kick drum. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't move at all, even though it all falls within a particular time. Sure. And that push and pull of the human experience is what I think really resonates with a lot of people about music and groove. Um, and yeah, that, I mean,
2: I, th- I think that's kind of an I interesting, learned, you know. uh, it's an interesting insight because I think you know, part of what we love about music is the imperfection, and uh, that's harder and harder to do with the technology that we have. Yeah, right. I've actually seen videos with the guy showing you how to how to mess it up on purpose, yeah. right? Take things off beat or yeah, whatever. Um, but you know, there's a I'm I'm sure there's a temptation to kind of like let everything line up and make it easy and be be done with it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's certain styles of music where that really Sure. Like a lot of the early industrial techno was very mechanical. Yeah, if you're Richie Hutton, you can't
2: Yeah you're not gonna be
1: offbeat. It was very mechanical, but now I think even those uh styles of music are starting to impart a lot of different feels. Mm-hmm. Um but, yeah, when you're learning and you don't know, you want to quantize everything, but you're wondering, why is everything so stiff, you know? Um, just one last comment I would make about that is, I was because I was at a music school, there were a lot of guitar players there, and they would all try and play Jimi Hendrix songs. Mm-hmm. And they sort of had the right tone, they were playing the right notes, but it never sounded quite right. And I was yeah. like, why? What is it about what he's doing that's so different? So I took a Jimi Hendrix song with a whole band playing and I imported it into Cubase. Mm -hmm. And Cubase had the ability to move the grid to their their beats and show you how time was speeding up and slowing down over a certain number of bars. Mm. And what I noticed by analyzing that song is that within one bar, the first two beats, they were playing that about 98 beats per minute. And then the next two beats, they were playing that at about 88 beats per minute. Mm. So within one bar, they were speeding up and slowing down together. Wow. And that cyclical push and pull of the groove is what made that song so special. Mm. And I was like, why isn't anyone teaching these kids the importance of groove and feel? Because if they would add that to the right notes and to the right tone, they would get more to the essence of what the song is really about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took—it's interesting because it took technology in order sure. for me to discover that the untechnology was what was magical about it. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah, but it's it's what you talk about, right? You're coming at it as a musician, not
1: as an engineer,
2: right? Right. Yeah. And it's a, it's those are different priorities. Yeah. So okay, so you, uh, you guys decided to start the school. Yeah. How's that work? Like, I think for any business, getting your first customers, mm-hmm. right? Getting if you're a musician, getting your first show. Yeah. Right. So you said you opened with 15. Like, how how do you get 15 people to to trust to take it? chance on a school that's unproven and yeah, has it's no it, reputation.
1: It's interesting, I mean, a lot of the first group of students were people that we had educated in the past, okay. uh, that we were connected with with the other schools, and okay. they had finished their programs and they felt like they hadn't really received the education they were looking for. Yeah. So we went back to them and offered them an alternative, okay. a continuation, and uh, they all believed it and jumped on board.
2: So the other day you were saying something about a, there's a seminar you went to? Mm-hmm. what tell me about that
1: um, I just you know at the time I was hustling for gigs and I, I got a random gig as a field recording engineer just to make sure the odd audio was being captured at a seminar and it mm-hmm. was a wealth-building seminar in Florida okay and uh, it was it was actually um, Donald Trump was sort of like the main a person that was putting the seminar together but he's like the keynote speaker the keynote speaker, oh, wow. but okay. he had other, other yeah, people yeah, sure. involved in the industry and right. there's one guy that was up there and I obviously At the time, I didn't care what they were saying, but I had to listen to make sure there's no clicks and pops Uh and distortion and all that stuff. And one guy said, you know, (laughs) you don't have to be at your destination. You just have to be walking so strongly that people will get behind you as if you're already there. Hmm. And that statement, for some reason, just rung a huge bell. And it it just made me realize that if I state that I'm going to start a school and I strongly believe it, uh, and, I, and I use the correct words, other people will believe it and it'll come to life. Mm. So I immediately came back and I told my business partner in April, we're gonna start a school. It doesn't matter if it's one person in our bedroom, three people in a small office, or 10 people in a classroom, it's happening on this date. Yeah. And even though we don't know how it's gonna happen, we're stating that it's gonna happen and we're gonna commit everything we have to making it happen. So we started looking for locations, we found a place in downtown four-city block entertainment complex basically for a movie and video production with no sound component there mm-hmm. and uh, just asked the vice the president of the location that you know I think the words that you speak are really important too and how you state your intentions uh, I told him in April we are opening the school and we would love for it to be here would you be opposed to having a music educational facility within your entertainment complex and he was really excited about it he goes He goes, what do you need to make it happen? I said, I just need a conference room so I can bring my clients so they can see where it's gonna be Mm -hmm. and we can start the classes in April. He goes, I'll give you the conference room for free and I'll personally give everybody a tour of the facility. So I went back to my prospective clients and I said, we have a location and the school is gonna be in this place in April and we just want you to come down, see the curriculum, uh, put your deposits down and meet the president and take a tour. So they all showed up. The clients didn't know that we didn't have the location, and the location didn't know that they weren't clients yet. But
2: That's a,
1: but because we believed that it was going to happen so strongly, we, we spoke as if it already was, sure. and everybody got on board. <coughs> and that day we took about $65,000 in deposits, oh, and yeah. we bought the gear that we needed, and we put our deposit down on the space, and... That's how that's that's how it got started. That's no incredible. money, no money, just a belief, you know. You're my hero. <laughs>
2: no, I mean, I because I, I mean, I'm I'm not kidding because, you know, it's so easy to think about all the reasons why not to do that. Absolutely right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes those are legitimate. And you have to listen to them.
1: Very valid. But reasons, sometimes a lot of the times.
2: you're never going to take that first step if you
1: you know, if you, if you let that get in your way. You know, I was just talking to this with my business partner today. I said, do you realize that we started the construction of the new building without knowing a pandec- pandemic was coming, without knowing that there was gonna be a financial crisis, without knowing that, that there were gonna be so many parameters that if we knew, we never would have done it at this point. Sure. And just a lot of things that happened between now and then have really worked in our favor. And that's really important, where you put your focus. We mm. could have thought of 500 reasons why in January now would not have been the right time. Yeah. But, you know, at some point you just have to decide and move forward, you know, be, be ready to pivot and move and make changes along the way, you know.
2: So are you just naturally good at that? Is that, or, or do you, or is there a trick to it?
1: I think that comes back to my mom. Yeah. You know? Not knowing anything and just making a commitment, a belief that there was something better and that mm-hmm. if she just took a chance that she would find it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that takes, um, it does take a lot of courage and it takes the ability to push back all the fears, which is all the voices in your head telling you why you shouldn't do it, you know. And we all have that. Sure. Every day for every aspect of what we do, whether it's creative or moving forward with a commitment in a relationship or selecting a job or pursuing a career or buying a car, you know, our, if you think about it, our whole life is creative. Every Mm -hmm. day you're making creative decisions, you know? Um, but fear's, fear's a bastard, man. Fear will get in there and, and freeze you up and keep you from moving forward, you know?
2: So if you notice that that's happening to you, that you're, that the fear is freezing you up. Yeah. Is there a, do you, have something, do you have someone or something that you go to, to to snap you out of it? I mean. Or is it different every time?
1: I also have a really strong belief in God. Mm-hmm. So that's part of my foundation. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Now there's something I do want to say about this. Right now the whole world is crying out for justice, right? Sure. And I started to think, where does justice come from what is justice what is it that the whole world is crying out for and then i started thinking what are the foundational worldviews that our society holds from which everything else is built on so i started to think what are the important questions that we as human beings ask ourselves and i, I came up with four of them hmm. where do we come from what is our purpose how do we gauge right and wrong and where are we going? I think if we can answer those four questions that have a strong foundation, it'll guide everything that you do, right? Mm. So where do we come from? Well, the main belief, I think, of most people that you ask is that we're a process of evolution, that random atoms came together in a primordial soup, and out of it spawned a biological element that evolved over time and became who you and I are, are now today. Mm-hmm. So, okay, that's possible, maybe. Can six billion lines of left-hand amino acids or right-hand amino acids come together in a particular way to create a book that describes who you are and how you behave and how you interact with life? Okay. But then where does, does justice come from that? you know, I was thinking, does justice come from chance? Is justice just a a random happening, you know? And if so, then it has no meaning because if if there's no meaning to our existence, then there's no meaning to right or wrong. Sure. Or if there is, who gets to decide what is right or wrong, you know? Yeah, I was thinking about the teachings of Nietzsche that said there is no God and every man has the right for himself to decide what is right or wrong. And then I think about Darwin that said, The whole purpose of life is to evolve and Mm -hmm. to continue and to develop into the perfect organism. So what happens when you combine these two philosophies? Well, you get someone like Hitler, who did a perfect job at defining his own rules and pursuing the perfection of life. And actually, when the Nazis were being tried at the Nuremberg trials, their lawyers stood up and said, these gentlemen were just following the laws of their state. And it's not every state sovereign to make their own laws. Right. And the judges had a really hard time with that. And until one of them stood up and said, is there no law above the law of man? Meaning is there no moral mm-hmm. focal point that is above what you might believe or what I might believe? And only under those terms were they able to convict the Nazis. Right. So now we go back to the, the sense of justice. We're all crying out for justice, but we don't really have a strong concept of where justice comes from. So how do we as a society built on principles where the core foundational principle may not be as stable as we think?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I would even take it a step further. I don't know that we have a common definition of justice. I mean, I know there's, there's that under the law, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's, I mean, a lot of what we're living through at the moment is that the law is very different in practice than it is on the books, mm-hmm. right? And, um... And even the interpretation of the laws comes into question constantly right yeah. every time there's a lawsuit, you know,
1: and the laws change from country to
2: country state to state, society to society right and so but you're right, you know we have it it's a i don't know if i'm assuming it's a universal human truth that we value fairness yeah right and and you know as you said, right now we're crying out for justice because. Certain things, certain people are treated one way, and other people are treated a different way. Yeah, right. And um, you know, I've seen studies that people will be happy making less money if they know that the other people around them are also making less money. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is, to me, that's insane. Right. It's it's not insane is a strong word, but it's but it's illogical.
1: Right. Um, because fairness and justice kind of go together. So, yeah, sure. If, if I'm doing you know if i'm doing my part and the other community's not doing their part then right. how is that fair
2: yeah yeah no one wants to be the one that's working harder than everyone else right. or making less money than everyone else or but it is all these relative things yeah and so um I don't, I, don't, I don't i'm not sure where i'm going with that but um but i think it's an interesting concept yeah uh, it's an interesting
1: topic you know so how does that so 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 I have a belief. You have these I have, these a, belief, four I have a belief in a higher power, you sure. know? Yeah. And I don't believe that we, that we came, that we're here by randomness. I don't believe that, I mean, I find meaning in my life. I, I experience love, I care for other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when someone that I care for dies, I don't replace them with another representation of that right. person. There's a uniqueness to that person sure. that, that is special. <clears throat> so it's hard for me to believe that we're experiencing so much meaningful lives over an overarching meaninglessness, um, and so I do believe there's a higher power, and that is where a lot of my courage comes from. Uh, because I feel like, you know, when I need guidance, when I need support, I have like this personal relationship with someone that I can lean on, that I can rely on, you know, that I can trust in.
2: So, um, so I'm not I'm not going to debate theology with you, yeah. but <laughs> I am going to say that I think.
1: I mean, we're all entitled you know, oh no no i
2: mean I mean it's not even to have our own beliefs it's not even for sure. it, it it's it's i think it's irrelevant to what I'm about to say, whether we agree or not yeah um but but I think even what you're saying right if to the extent that people believe that there's a higher power, there is no consensus about what that is and what it means to each of us in our daily lives and how we're supposed to Correct. interact with that, right, and so Correct whether it's even, you know, across religions or within a religion. Correct. There's, there's, you know, infinite number of definitions of how that meaning affects each one of us, right? Correct. Um, and and so I, I don't, I guess I'm saying, like, I don't know that that solves your problem uh, from the way you're describing it, right? I mean, it, I, you know, hopefully it solves it for you, like, because you can find your moral compass relative to your, your beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just saying that's like a, we're, we're all sort of left, we're, we're either left to figure that out for ourselves yeah. or we decide to give that power over to someone else, to a, a priest or a rabbi or right. or a, a book, uh, you know, one particular book that a, we a book, read. And, a book
1: with a set of beliefs. You know, Yeah, that yeah.
2: we read and interpret a certain way yeah. based on the translator who, translated that book from the original language right like yeah none of it is is truth in the sense of uh you know i guess Yeah, we just you got know.
1: shoved in the deep water didn't we <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah truth,
2: I don't truth, know.
1: truth is an interesting thing you know can can truth be can truth be relative can be can there be different versions of the truth sure can truth explain Can truth be exclusive? You know, like right. it's just a really deep topic.
2: Yeah, but for me, so how does all that affect your your path as an entrepreneur? Yeah, as a as, sure, you
1: know, well, I think all the things that you are. I think in the in, in the things that I believe in, the greatest gift that we've been given is the power of choice, because mm. um, we have the ability to choose whether we want to believe or whether we won't want don't want to believe. Absolutely, and our ability to choose is what makes us creative. So, by nature, our greatest gift is creativity, whether mm-hmm. it be to believe or not believe, or to choose this, or choose B, or to choose this baseline or choose not this baseline, or choose this drum sound, or, uh, to choose is, is our greatest gift, and um, I mean, to, per, to pursue a life of creativity is to pursue a, a life of choices, you know, and to know that that is your greatest gift, to mm-hmm. decide and to choose. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I think it's really interesting, and if you you know if you read like Stephen Covey, right? He, uh, I think it. They talk about a definition of success as as having increasing your ability to choose. Oh, they do.
1: That's interesting. Yeah,
2: in in a way, right? So they, he's got this thing of like the the gap between stimulus and response is mm-hmm. where our freedom of choice exists. Yeah, right? absolutely. And and he kind of says, you know. If you if you behave a certain way and you end up in prison, well then your choices are very limited.
1: Or they're made for you. That's what (laughs) I mean, right? Like you have you
2: have really small number of choices that you're allowed to make at that point. Right. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've created a life that gives you, you know, resources and time and all of these opportunities to to make creative choices.
1: And and if you think of jail as punishment and you expound on that, sure. Punishment is limiting your choices that's right yeah and I think when we live in fear we also limit our choices mm-hmm. and there is torment and fear there's sure. punishment and fear yeah, that's right. interesting I never looked at it that way hmm. um, so yeah I it's I don't know I think about this stuff from time to time
2: <laughs> <laughs> no I'm sure Um. what else did you do at the beginning what were mistakes that you had to Work your way out of.
1: Mm. I think maybe one of the the main challenges that we had in the beginning was underestimating the importance of marketing. Mm. Um, underestimating the the importance of having a clear voice, because um, obviously the first fifteen students that we got was very easy. Sure. But then, where does the next pool of people come from? Right. And we really had to think about. Who were we? What was our meaning? What was our purpose? And how were we going to get that purpose out there? And one of the first things that you know my business partner and I committed to was to never tell someone who you were in an ad or an advertisement or you know uh, we are A and what we do is A B and C. Mm-hmm. You know I think the value comes when you share something of importance with someone, whether it be a belief or a bit of knowledge. So from the beginning, we decided that it was always going to be about sharing something valuable with someone. Um, and really, just the mission statement of empowering artists to live creative lifestyles mm. really says nothing about music production. Right. So when you, when you see a school that says, you know, come here to become a music producer, I feel like that's a very narrow focus. But when you say, come learn how to live a creative lifestyle, that's a much broader a broader appeal. And that really is what it is about, you know? How, how do we how do we take power back to our lives by exercising creativity? Mm. Um, and so
2: how does that get woven into the school
1: experience? Um, I think it starts with the idea <clears throat> that, you know, a lifestyle is something that's shared. It's a belief that's shared by people of common beliefs. Mm-hmm. And what do we call that? Well, we call that a collective. So by design, the school was never a university or a school, it was always a collective, it was always Mm -hmm. about people. And something interesting happened in the first six years that I noticed the graduating students are becoming more and more advanced than the previous graduating students. And it wasn't necessarily because our curriculum was changing that quickly. And I, I boiled it down to something that I call collective intelligence, which is people with the same passion coming together in the same building mm-hmm. and sharing resources. So um, you might have been researching the perfect snare sound for eight hours, and I might have been researching vocal compression for six hours. And we sit down and have lunch together in three minutes. We share with each other what it took us 16 hours collectively to mm. learn. And so the upper, <coughs> uh, the upper students were teaching the younger students. And by the time the younger students became upper students, they, more, they were more advanced sure. than those upper students. And they were sharing the younger students. And there was a cyclical process of people sharing information um, that's, that's been a part of our unspoken success. Um, and had I realized that early on, I would have fostered it a lot sooner. Sure. yeah. Uh, But I think it's like YouTube, you know, you have someone posting a dance move on one side of the country and someone on the other side of the country sees it. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you have this community that's sharing resources and learning from each other. Uh, It's a very dynamic way of learning. And um, we're always looking for ways to expand that, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it be in-house or through our online programs. Um, But yeah, community, I, I think it's important.
2: And so that, that kind of just happened, right? Mm-hmm. So now, uh, ha, so how did you then adjust the curriculum or your approach, right, mm-hmm. to, to then foster that?
1: Um, I think one of, the, one of the most basic ways is we just created a space for it to happen. Mm-hmm. So in the new building, we dedicated probably five, in our current building, we dedicated five 600 square feet we could just call it a producer's den, uh, where there's no agenda in that room other than for people to come in, set up with a laptop and be next to their peers, just be able to work, drink coffee, talk, congregate. Um, Normally a a room like that would be set aside for an actual lecture or Mm -hmm. other courses, but creating space where people can come together and just share information uh, was one of the first steps in allowing that to organically grow you know, creating space for things to happen is, you know, important. Sure. Yeah. And we're still figuring out how to continue to do that. Of course.
2: Um, What, so, you know, you started, it's the two of you, and I'm sure you started, you know, hiring teachers at some point. Oh yeah. Um, Now, you know, you've got a, I'm sure a much bigger, more sophisticated organization. Um, What's that, what's that like for you? As a, as a founder, kind of giving, you know I know that's something a lot of people struggle with is mm-hmm. like letting go of certain parts of their job.
1: Um, and so how do, how have you been able to navigate that? That's a really interesting question because um, I was really involved uh, as the director of education in the program early on. Uh, writing a lot of the curriculum teaching a lot of the courses um, being involved in a lot of the marketing events just wearing all hats possible mm-hmm. you know there was only two of us yeah um, but then coming to a point where you realize that your capacity to be effective in all those areas is limited by the amount of time that you have and you have to go out and find people that are more talented just as passionate share the same values um, to help you along this mission um, I've been very fortunate to be working with a business partner that um, was very consumed with the direction of the business early on, mm. and uh, we're to a point now where he gets to run the day-to-day operations, and um, I get to support him on decisions. And you know, we strategize longer, longer, uh, long-term plans. I've mm-hmm. got a, an amazing director of education that's managing all the instructors, and nice. it's about finding people that are better than you at what you do, and bringing them on board and empowering them to do to continue the work, you know.
2: What's been the hardest
1: part to give up? Uh probably the connection with the students. Yeah. That's something that I really uh appreciated and cherished and I still could do that. Yeah. Uh but uh my personal life suffered a lot because I was sure. in that building 15, 16, 17 <clears throat> hours a day. Yeah. And uh once when I once I started approaching my 50s, I was like, "Okay, I've I've given 50 years of my life to music." Mm-hmm. And uh, as I still want to continue to do that, I want to be more balanced with how I'm spending my time. Yeah. So um, there's, other, there's other things that I spend my time doing uh, on top of sort of co-managing the business. But, yeah, it's all a trade-off, you know. Different, different seasons have different focuses. Sure,
2: yeah, of course. Um, so I know you've had some high-profile graduates uh you know i know jaws mm. nightmare slander yeah some big names
1: come yeah. out of the school yeah um, i'm sure there's others that that i don't know um yeah there's uh kezo there's like we have a lot of female talent that's coming through the school cool. right now which is amazing nice um but yeah a lot of we've had a lot of kids that have come and devoted their entire life without a plan b to pursue to pursue this lifestyle sure you know?
2: so how does that um you know you were talking about marketing earlier like you know, when, when a Jaws comes out of the school mm-hmm. and has, you know, big hits and headlining festivals and all that, like, what does that do for you? And how much do you think about, like, m- marketing
1: that or not? It's interesting. I think that in the beginning, word of mouth was really powerful for us because yeah. the the, um, the graduates were going out and telling everybody their experience that they had. And, and they begin living a life of, of of an artist, you know, that's all in, that's devoting all their time to music, that's that's being wise about their branding, that's being true to who they are and not trying to follow a trend and trying to be unique and just all these individual pieces of the puzzle that, that create success. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been great for those people to have success. And it's some of them, it's taken them two, three years to get to a point where they're on the radar. Uh, there's some students that are, maybe four or five years in, and they've had just a small portion of that success. Right. But one of the first things that we let people know is that there are no guarantees when you come into this career. You're going to get a certificate, but it doesn't mean anything, sure. you know? Uh, the path that you're about to create, no one's ever walked before. Mm-hmm. You're the one that's going to have to create that path, you know, yeah. so it's yeah, It's the, very yeah. unlike any other career where... The promoters you know, at Ultra, aren't, they're not checking your degrees <laughs> and certificates. No, they're not, you know? But I've been very, it's been beautiful to watch success of the graduates. I just spoke to a graduate that was probably from about seven years ago, and he just put his down payment on his home, and he's really excited to be out in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And he's still, you know, touring and traveling and, you know, living this life that he had hoped he could live, you know? And it's just really gratifying to have a small thing in him.
2: Hey, if you're enjoying this one, um, let's go back in the Rebel Radio archives. Check out my interview with DJ Morse Code. He's an instructor at a different music school here in L.A. And a very uh, respected DJ at the top of his craft. And we talk a lot about what what it takes to be great in that field and I think many others. So you might enjoy that one, too. Of course, after we finish up here with David Alexander. So how much, you know, when you think about the success of your graduates, how much is that about picking the right students to allow in
1: Mm -hmm. um, versus, you know, whatever they learn when they're in the school? That's a great question because, you know, a lot of schools that are for profit, um, their admission process is very cookie-cutter, yeah. and they have a goal that they have to meet, and they have a number of seats that they have to fill, and mm-hmm. they have quotas. And it's all about the profit margin. Um, we actually probably only accept 30 to 40% of the applicants. And I'm very proud of the admissions department and the director of admissions who have a very thorough screening process, and they just get down to the core of why they want to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, Do you want to do this because you want to be on stage playing bangers, or...? You feel like you have a voice and something that you want to contribute. Yeah. So that initial filter is really important. Another another thing that en- ended up working in our favor was not accepting financial aid. Mm-hmm. A lot of schools operate on ninety percent financial aid. Sure. That means that means just about anybody can come and study. Um, but for us, these students, artists, they literally had to work a year or two years. They had to save up their money. That was really the first threshold that lets you know they're serious. Yeah, I mean, kids that don't get financial aid and they've been working hard for two years to, to get their, their tuition paid for, once they get there, they're going to be serious about attendance, mm-hmm. submitting their homework assignments. I mean, they're completely devoted. They've been devoted for two years, even before they walk in the door. Right, so It just changes the whole dynamic, you know.
2: So talk about that a little, because, you know, in in the public you know, discourse, right, the mm-hmm. the argument about financial aid is that, you know, it empowers people who come from, uh, who don't come from means, I right? do agree with that, yes, um, to be able to, to go to college, right, yeah. and, um, you know, if it wasn't for the GI Bill, if it wasn't for, you know, various programs, I agree with you, um, yeah. lots of people would, you know, would have been priced right. out of college, right, so how do you, so walk me through that, sure, you,
1: well, Initially, I think one of the reasons why we, we didn't offer financial aid is because we had started under no accreditation system. Right. So even if we wanted to, we couldn't play the game. Yeah. Um, but now we are fully accredited. Um, we do uh, are able to receive GI bills. Mm-hmm. Um, we are able to give visas to international students. But I think our admissions process has still been true. Um, we have a limited amount of seats. We're not looking to pack them in. Sure. Um, we we could have. Thirty applicants, and we could have two seats open, but we're not going to plug those in with people that are going to diminish the experience for the rest of the class. Mm-hmm. We're in the process of considering financial aid, and we're probably going to get there uh, relatively soon. But I think it's very important to be balanced with your use of financial aid as an institution. Yeah, I mean, if we were to if we were to just accept ten percent of our funding from financial aid, it would be a, it would make a big difference for us. Right. But I don't think we would ever want to be so dependent on financial aid that um, if something happens to that system, sure, uh, you know the company would be at risk, or you know um, that we would be excluding people. But yeah, I think financial aid is important. But I think the use of it extensively to fill seats mm-hmm. um, with the wrong candidates is is something that um, has been the downfall of a lot of schools. Actually, I don't want to name any, but you can count the number of schools in arts and um, production and education that are now going out of business yeah and it's exactly for those reasons
2: sure yeah yeah and I you know look I get I'm not I'm not really taking a position on it I just you know oh, I think yeah, I, I get that um, you want people that are there for the right reasons right. Um, and you want people that are there to work hard and yeah and you know those are those are um, it's tough to see that when you're looking at a student's application or you're interviewing them, you're, you know, you don't, you don't really know what you're getting, right? Right. So, I, you know, I think, and, and certainly, um, you know, I think we could argue that there's a
1: crisis of too much financial
2: aid, especially in the form of loans, right, student yeah. loans. I mean, for That's, students to
1: come out of an engineering school with sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 of debt on their shoulder, Yeah. I mean, how are they going to overcome that? Sure. You know, so... But I think that's that problem is being self-addressed by the industry because those companies can't sustain, you know, that kind of model anymore.
2: Yeah, how much do you watch what other schools are offering, and like, are you, are you, you know, is that something you think about this sort of like competitive environment that's that really you're in? That's really
1: interesting. Yeah, not not much at all, to be honest with you. Um, we were kind of the anti what everybody else is doing. Yeah. I think we listen to our current student body the most. They're mm. the ones, we listen to our, sure. our, our, we listen to the collective. They're the one that tells us what their needs are.
2: So and what's something that like you, an innovation or a change or whatever that you, you well, got from your students?
1: Well, like right now we're, we're launching a music business program. Yeah. Like we're, we're having like a very 21st century approach to it as an independent artist and what are the needs of an independent artist when mm. they partner with the manager um, we're also launching a vocal artist program uh, more with the performance space mm-hmm. and i think combining those three segments under one building is a great um it's a great opportunity for a lot of partnerships to come together to bring strong brands complete companies together yeah because you have the producers you have the vocalists you have the managers and you have a whole team that that can potentially start their career and their relationships under this building and um, just spawn uh, great ventures from there so really excited about that yeah i love that yeah um but yeah education is an interesting thing you know um we just we just saw the disconnect early on and we jumped on at a point where technology was starting to boom and nobody Mm -hmm. was really addressing laptop producers and just kind of saw around the bend a little bit Mm -hmm. but
2: i mean it's great that you teach in the business and i know most music schools there's you know there's a few business classes or whatever yeah um seems like I, i don't know it seems it seems that um you know the business is still very misunderstood,
1: mm, and it changes so rapidly. Sure, you know? yeah, it's constantly changing. So how do you keep up with understanding how audiences are com- consuming music? You know, is music the product or is mm-hmm. music is music the market? Mm-hmm. You know, is is that the marketing? Do you spin that into a brand? Um, I just so many questions. Well, now with the the whole pandemic going on, tours are kind of going to the wayside, but a lot of people are starting to monetize, you know, the representation of music and performance online in a new way. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're just evolving and adapting, you know? So the business has to evolve and adapt as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I always, you know, I think about careers in this business and I feel like, you know, whatever you learned, whatever you're good at, you know, to get started you know, what that does is it buys you five, 10 years if you're lucky to learn all the other shit you need to learn, right?
1: Um, so y- you're saying that um, your, your talent and what your specialty is will carry you through the time needed to gather the other assets to make yeah. it complete? So
2: kind of what we were talking about earlier, right? Like if you're, if you're good at performing, That buys you the opportunity to learn songwriting Mm -hmm. obviously some people just write songs i'm I'm, right i'm speaking of one sort of path right but if if you can go out and play covers right Mm -hmm. that gets you the momentum and the opportunity to then go learn how to be a, a musician how to make music right right yeah um if you can do that and you can make a record that anybody wants to hear that then buys you the opportunity to learn the business right right in the way that in the traditional way that we've been doing it and and I think, you know, we see a whole industry of littered with careers that didn't make it all the way. But, you know, they didn't become the, the Shaka Khans, mm-hmm. um because they didn't learn those pieces along the way, right? Like, yeah. I, I think we were talking about this on our hike, right? Like, yeah. You know, when your first record is your your biggest hit, you're kind of screwed, mm-hmm. right? Because you have to... And I think there's a few reasons, right? But one is that it forces you into having to learn how to run a business mm-hmm. in an industry that you are brand new to. Yeah. Um, and that's too much for a lot of people.
1: Yeah. It's important to have a game plan, you know, to have a, understand how you're going to get a return on your investment. What's going to, you know, what's your plan two years from now, four years from now? Because all you're doing is building, these, developing these structures of potential yeah you know whether that be cash that be exposure that be a fan base mm-hmm. and then you have to have a strategy of how to continue expanding that and building something from that you know um yeah it's a it's an interesting career to pursue music these days for sure you know? i really applaud the people that have the courage to do it absolutely but it's a beautiful lifestyle you know to to be able to wake up and be creative and and have an impact. I think now, more today than ever, we need artists, you know. Uh, there was a revolution sure. in Scotland that said, let me write the songs of a nation, I don't care who writes his laws. Mm. You know, So even then, mm-hmm. he particularly knew the power of music and the power to uh, invoke um, social consciousness and change. Um, and I feel like we're lacking a little bit of an artist's voice right now in this in this whole situation, you know. We don't have really have our Martin Luther King now. Right. We don't really have, you know, someone that's uh leading that fight for justice, you know.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it feels a little bit like some artists are waking up to that. Yeah. Um But, you know, I also think that's a uh you know, that was also a product of its time, right?
1: Yeah. Like but I think uh, it's good in a way too, because we're all, we're all now, it's not about who the leader is, it's about what are we gonna do right. individually.
2: That's right. Um, go back to that story you were telling at the beginning about uh, about Ultra. Um, so, you, you know, you were talking about the this idea, I'm, I'm not gonna ask for anything, I'm gonna be of service. Yeah. Right? How much does that, is that your, your way of
1: operating I think initially it's been great in terms of the way that we've been able to grow the company, establish relationships. Um, A lot of times when you go to a business meeting and there's a potential for partnership, each person knows what they need from the other person. Mm -hmm. And there's a tendency uh, to want to ask for what you need. But when you realize that you have value and that the other person maybe they're needing something from you. If you are the first person to offer, what can I do for you? How can I be of service? Um, How can I support what you're doing? Um, In the end, many times the person on the other side is gonna know better what they can do for you than even what you can ask. Mm -hmm. So it's been a great strategy for me. Mm. Um, I'll give you one example. Uh, When I just started school, I was trying to figure out how to get the word out and I had 30 minutes left on my meter and I told myself, I'm going to sit here at this meter at 5 o'clock, at 4.30, until the meter runs out, and hopefully I'm going to, be in, I'm going to have one last inspiration and something to do while I'm sitting here in Hollywood. And if not, then I'm going to drive home. So I just sat there patiently, and there was a woman in the boutique store that thought I was strange, because I wasn't on my phone, I was just sitting in the car, kind of just sitting there. And a friend of mine called. And I was, hey, how are you? What are you doing? He goes, God, oh, I just finished talking to a friend of mine. He's a senior editor at a BPM Magazine. I'm like, oh, cool. What's his name? Blah, blah, blah. Started talking. And I said, their offices aren't in Hollywood by any chance, are they? He's like, yeah, they're in Hollywood. I'm like, where are they? So he gave me the address. I'm like, cool. So that was my impetuous to go to a BPM Magazine. I had no agenda. I didn't know what I was going to talk about. But I walked in. I told the receptionist, I'd, I'd like to speak to David Ireland. He goes, well, what do you want to see him about? I said, well. I started a music production school, and I think we can create some synergy. She's like, "Okay, he'll be done in ten minutes." So he walks out. He doesn't know who I am. He's, uh-huh. like, he's like, "Can I help you?" I said, "Yeah, I started an electronic music school. We, our companies are both, you know, appealing to the same culture, and I think, I think there's some positive things we can do." He goes, "Okay, we'll come in." And for about an hour and a half, he just asked me tons of questions. And he goes, "So why are you here?" I said, "I'm, I'm just here to see how I can be of service." And he goes, "You know about gear, right?" He, yeah. He goes, How about if I send you new gear every week and every month you write a one page article about it and then we'll give you a half page to a full page ad in the magazines about the school. And I said, Are you asking me to be your senior gear editor? he's like, That's exactly what I'm asking you to do. I said, Done deal. And we shook hands <laughs> on it. And I started making all these relationships sure. with like Native instruments, yeah, and, yeah, you know, all, all the uh, keyboard companies and all the accessory companies, and that was just an example of yeah, you know, that's great. Going somewhere with someone that had a common commonality and asking how you can be of service, mm-hmm. and them thinking of a way that they could serve you even better, you know. So love that. But it takes a lot of courage to walk into an office and talk to the senior editor and not know. Not really know what you're going to say, you know. Um, but life is like that, you know. We all have to take risks. We're so afraid to call people sometimes because we think they're on this level or they're above us sure. or, or they're out of reach.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you either, you either think, you know, people either think, A, like this person is further along than I am. They're more successful, smarter, richer, whatever. So what could I possibly offer them? Right. Or they think, or they're afraid of being taken advantage of. Right. right. That, that uh, you know, I have to ask for right. what I want because I have to stand up for myself. Right. Which, you know, standing up for yourself is um, now you're in a fighting stance. Right. Right. That, so uh, you, you're going to, someone's going to lose. Right. I <laughs> mean,
1: let me ask you this. If you got a phone call and some kid in Nebraska said, hey, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I love what you're doing. Um, I'm inspired to do the same thing. I don't know much about it um do you mind if we just zoomed maybe once a week yeah. for a month I, and i could pick your brain and we could talk i mean yeah wouldn't you kind of be inspired that someone would i almost always say yes about to what that you're doing? stuff like, for like, sure i i feel like i would say yes to that person yeah but you know how many people have that desire to connect with people but they don't have the courage to pick up the phone to do it you know? right so we need more of that do you teach
2: that to your students
1: Um, I don't think we have a course necessarily in that, but.
2: Hopefully it's woven in there because that's, that's a, those are important life skills.
1: Yeah, And that's it, man. I guess the, it all comes down to, um, having the courage not to be fearful in certain situations, you know?
2: Brilliant. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, I'm excited to see what's next. Hopefully we'll be, uh. We'll be out in the, uh, in the outdoors. We'll come see the school. So what's the plan? I know it's hard to,
1: well, right now, it's hard uh, to tell what, uh, we're just waiting for, you know, the authorities to say it's safe for us on some level to come back together. Yeah. And, uh, we'll be ready to open our doors and, um, welcome our students back and get back to business, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I can't wait for them to see the new building. You know, it's in Burbank, you said? It's in Burbank, very yeah. close to um, right off Ikea Way. Okay. Uh, on a street called Tuhunga. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're taking up two floors of a standalone building with plenty of parking, which is good for us. Nice. But we got to custom design the whole space, just kind of gut it and start That's from scratch. Cool. Yeah. So there's, like, teaching theaters with... Um, uh staggered seating and uh like a 50 seat performance theater we've never really had a space that big before nice analog mastering studio a couple of tracking rooms and lots of labs studios for them to work in administrative offices um yeah it's i can't can't wait for people to experience it you know love it you have to come down and check it out absolutely for sure man
2: thanks for doing this. this is so much fun
1: thank you for coming down
2: um, how should everyone find Icon Collective or you or? Uh,
1: they can go to iconcollective.edu. Okay. Um, or can, they can do Instagram, Icon Collective. Nice. Or they can do Icon Collective Facebook. Very cool. Yeah. Amazing. So much fun. Well, well thank we'll, you. We'll
2: definitely have to do it again when we can come to the school.
1: Yeah. And you got to come down for another hike. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Hey, that was David Alexander on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Um, Let us know what you thought. You can leave us a comment on Twitter or Facebook. It's at Rebel Radio Net. I promise to pretend to read them and maybe even respond. And uh, most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.